all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hey, Shelby. Hi, Austin. You ready to talk about some Dragon Age? Yeah, I am. All right. Well, today is a bittersweet moment. It is kind of sad. Yes. We have reached the end of our Countries of Thetis series. And this also means that we have reached the end of Season 1 of the Dragon Age lore cast. But we'll have another season. We will. We'll have season two and we'll come back. Um, just a little housekeeping in the beginning. We'll cover this in the middle too. Uh, but this will be our last episode for the year. Uh, we'll come back after a, sh- after a short break for Christmas and the holidays and all of that stuff. And we'll come back. And in the middle, we'll tell you about kind of what's coming. We will. Yeah. All right. Well, Shelby, what's our last country? Well, if you are a Dragon Age super fan, you've probably already deduced which country we haven't yet talked about. Um, And that country is the Anderfels. And we kind of saved this one to the end um, because it kind of also went with Parvalin and Saharan where uh, there's a lot we just don't really know um, about this country. But uh, like we did last week, we're going to do our best um, to kind of sum up everything that we do know. Yeah. All right. So, as a Dragon Age casual fan, as I'll call myself, I mean, I've played all the games. I've Okay, and... okay, okay, hold up. You're a Dragon Age Origins casual fan. I do not think you can say you're a Dragon Age 2 casual fan. Like, you know every line of dialogue in that game. That's probably true. Um, yeah, anyway. I, I know. I know when I hear... The Enderfells, I know that it belongs to Dragon Age. Mm-hmm. I believe the Game of Thrones crowd's going to come in, but like it's called like the Anders or something. Uh, and then, but I that's all I know. Okay, well, you're going to learn a lot tonight. <laughs> so let's just get started. All right, well, um, so the Anderfells. You're right. The people group and the language. Oh, the people group are referred to as the Anders people, um, and the language is Ander. Um, that's what one of my sources said. So, it is a kingdom in northwest Thetis. So it's north of both Navarra and Orle. It's basically like the farthest northwest you can go. So it's north of Orle, it's north of um, Navarra, it's northwest of Tevinter. Um, and the way I kind of picture it is um, kind of the same western edge as uh, the as the hissing wastes and the Western approach in Inquisition, but just way farther north Hmm, um, than they are. That's kind of how I picture it. And we'll get into that when we talk about the geography a little bit. Um, 
but it it is pretty much the furthest west you can go in Thetis. Um, and it is the birthplace of the Grey Wardens, which I think is probably, for those of you who know anything about the Anderfells, like, that's the thing you're going to know. Um, right. That it's the birthplace of the Grey Wardens, and that's where Weishaupt is. So, the Grey Wardens were founded in minus 305 Ancient, and um, like I said, that's where Weishaupt is. Right. So... The capital city, continuing with my fun facts as always, the capital city of the Anderfells is Hosburg. And um, you might have, you might remember some of our previous episodes, especially the ones where we talk about the blight. Um, we've mentioned Hosburg a few times. That's where um, there have been several battles during blights have mm. happened there. So, makes and then, sense. Um, yeah, it totally makes sense. And then lastly, the Anderfells are mainly like desert, rocky, um, kind of like a butte um, geographic location kind of thing. Um, it has extremely, extremely hot summers. Um, and mm. it's, it's very similar to the Western approach in terms of geography, but um is slightly more variety than the western approach and like there's a, a modicum of farming that can be done in the Anderfells so that makes it a little bit uh distinct from the western approach but basically the whole country is blighted um mm -hmm. from my research and reading of the situation and it kind of like blends together like is this a desert because it was a desert or is this a desert because it's been blighted for so long? Right, right. It's ambiguous. We don't know. Um, it's both and, in my opinion. And then my last fun fact is that Kalsharok um, lies underneath, partially underneath the Anderfels as well as Tevinter. Oh, that's a big tie. Well, it's not really because the Anderfels are right next door to Tevinter. Hmm. All right. Those are my fun facts for the Anderfels. All right. Well, let's dive into our history. Okay. You don't have any questions? Not, not right now. Okay. You normally do. <laughs> All right. Well, there's not a lot of ancient history that we know of um, apart from the Blights, which we've already covered the Blights in our um, The Blight and Old Gods episode. So I'm not going to dive into the history of each individual blight just because it would be super rehashing for y'all and also for us. So we're just going to talk about some things other than the blights. Um, so to begin, the Anderfels were originally part of the Tevinter Imperium. They separated in minus 695 ancient and were reconquered in minus 535 ancient. So about 160, 70 years. Tevinter finally abandoned the Anderfels permanently in the Second Blight. So during this time, this is when Emperor Draken I of Orlay kind of came to their rescue. Um, because Tevinter had said, nope, we're not worried about it. We can't. We're worried about our mainland. And so Draken kind of came in and said, okay, well, I'll worry about you. Like, you're under my protection now. We're all fighting the Blight together. And so, of course, that inspires a lot of loyalty um, from the right. people. 
Um, and so as a result, uh, the Anderfels joined the Orlesian Empire and they converted to the Chantry. So they were Orlesian for a while and they finally became independent for good in 165 Divine. So to recap that a little bit, they had, of course, whatever indigenous people groups lived there. We are not privy to that history. Taventer conquered that and then they were independent and then they were Taventer again and then they were Orlesian and then they were independent again. Hmm. So they're kind of one of the oldest independent countries. Yeah, I I don't of I these think like so. small of these like small countries. Uh, yeah, I absolutely think you're right because Navarra's pretty new. Uh Ferelden's pretty new. The Free Marches is an odd exception. Um I can't remember the dates for Antiva or Ravain. And uh, Parvalin is fairly new as well. So, yeah, I think you're right. It, it may be the oldest. For well, sure. It's, Other it, than Taventer, of course. It's also like a point, like... I guess it's different now, but like... It's remoteness in Thetis, even though it's near Taventer, would make it hard to control for anyone but Taventer. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Tevinter or Orlais are the only two that would even have a remote possibility of controlling that area. Right. And it's like, you know, nowadays it's kind of different. But, like, if someone invaded Alaska or Hawaii in the United States, like, pre Mm -hmm. our, like, superior air travel and naval travel, it would take us a long time to go and maintain that. Right. Well, I think that's part of why Alaska is one of the newest states. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes total sense. Right. So, it's better to just let them do whatever they, let them govern themselves, because even mm-hmm. in an empire, you would have to rely on your regional governor to keep control over that. Right. And I think we'll, I think we'll get into this a little bit later, too, but like... The Anderfels don't have a lot of natural resources to give mm-hmm. to Thetis. Um, they don't have the capacity for like mass farming, like um, the Free Marches or Ferelden do, um, and they don't have a huge population that can be like you know turned into cannon fodder for the armies. So uh, there's not a lot of asset to controlling the Anderfels either. Right. But let's move on a little bit into, I am going to highlight just some major events from the Blights. I said I wasn't going to rehash it, and I'm not, but I'm going to review it. (laughs) So during the third Blight, the Anderfels are relatively unaffected, but the fourth Blight is probably the most devastating um, for the Anderfels. The Darkspawn laid siege to Hosberg for seven years. Wow. Their king was killed by an ogre. Um, the queen served as regent for her son, the new king. And um, the nobility did not support this. They didn't support the queen. So 
the power in the Anderfells pretty much immediately shifted to the Grey Wardens. And this marks a really big change in the leadership of the Grey Wardens and in the Anderfells generally, because it really signifies a time where the Grey Wardens start becoming interested in politics. They start becoming interested in leadership of the Anderfells. And I'm not sure it's necessarily fair of me to say they become interested in, or it's more like they have to be interested in for the survival of this nation where they are also located. But this is a really big change for the Wardens. This is a really controversial change for the Wardens. Um, and it's it becomes even more complicated after the fourth blight ends, you know, during a time mm. of war, during a time of a military issue, conflict, whatever we want to call it, all bets are off, right? Like people tolerate a lot more than they would in, in a normal, in a peaceful time. Um, people are a lot more flexible in a time of war or conflict than they are in a regular, whatever we want to call a regular time in Thetis. So once the blight ends and people start to rebuild, this power that the Wardens have assumed in the leadership of the Anderfells really starts to become more controversial than it was when it first happened. It's interesting because it's after, it's also after the fourth blight that we get this trouble in Ferelden with the Grey Wardens. Or is that er earlier? Mm, I think that it is, I think it's after, I think you're right. Um, yeah. You know, I can't remember the actual age that it happened in. The Battle of Soldier's Peak and all that. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. yeah. And, like, as from what you can tell, you've told me and what I've learned since I haven't read Last Flight, like, the Fourth Blight is particularly hard on Thetis. Like, it's probably the worst Blight since the first one. Yeah. Yeah, um, the first and fourth for sure are the worst. Right. And so... I could see the Grey Wardens kind of falling out of this heroic limelight. Especially, like, I don't know if corruption of the Griffins becomes common, like, not common knowledge, but something that's known. Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of, like, watching that fall. I mean, we see a similar thing in the Star Wars canon, at least the old EU, is, you know, the Jedi kind of basically sign on to the Republic and become tools of the Senate. Mm -hmm. And as they become more tools and more entrenched in these political powers, the less people revere them and hold them on this pedestal as a force of good. To where that sets up a point where, you know, Palpatine can come in and sway public opinion against the Jedi because they have already begun that process. Right, and I do think that that's a really good comparison because it's similar. Um, and I think the Fourth Blight really marks a significant change for the Wardens um, because, like we teased, the Griffins, they go extinct. I don't know if the public knows um, the reason why they go extinct, that, you know, they've, they've, gotten, they've gone through a, a version of their own joining, and that makes them go kind of crazy and that so then all the the wardens have to put them down i don't know if the public knows that but the public knows they went extinct for some reason so we have this kind of dual or even triple effect here 
The Grey Wardens have gained political power in the Anderfels, which changes their leadership. The Griffins have gone extinct, which eliminates a lot of jobs for a lot of people in Weishaupt. And third, people are not seeing them as much as hero as they as much as heroes as they used to, um, since this blight was particularly terrible. Um, so yeah, this is definitely a period where where the Grey Wardens are changing for sure. Well, let's trans transition into a little bit more discussion about the Grey Wardens specifically, um, because the Anderfels house their fortress, Weishaupt. And I just want to preface this is. There will be an episode on the Grey Warden. So yes, for all you yes. super fans out there, if we miss something or it's not as deep as you would want it to, know that an, a further episode in the Grey Wardens is coming. Yes, it is coming. Um, and we'll get to that in our break. But first, we'll talk about this. So um, the king of the Anderfels resides in Hosburg. That's where the palaces are. And generally... The king, the monarchy, uh, the rulers are only concerned with Hosburgh. Mm. They pretty much ignore the rest of the country because it's like totally rural. There are a few cities, um, but the king is mainly interested in like maintaining the order and comfort of the capital city to the exclusion of everything else. This happens a lot throughout history and even in like our modern times, you know, Every time a presidential election rolls around in the United States here, um, at least where we live, we live in not, we don't live in the, in a rural place, but we live in a flyover state. And I feel like we hear that all the time, um, mm -hmm. every, every four years. So this happens in, in our real world too. Well, this is not just a Thetis thing. A great example of this. Mm -hmm and we can speak to this because we live there, is the state of Illinois. Mm -hmm. Because when you live in Chicago, and even people, Chicagoans will say this, they live in Chicago, they don't live in Illinois. They don't live in Illinois. Yeah, right. that's so true. That's um, so true. And even there's this thing about, like, the capital of Illinois is Springfield. But who the heck knows that? Right. Everybody thinks it's Chicago. Because the governor is always in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's similar. This happens all the time here in our yeah. real world, too. Um, but as you know, this frustrates literally everyone in Illinois who doesn't live in Chicago. This frustrates everyone who lives in a flyover state because their governments don't pay attention to them except when they want their votes. So you can imagine that this probably frustrates the citizens of the Anderfels who don't live in Hosburg, just like it frustrates us. Because of this... The citizens are not particularly loyal to their royal family. Um, and we can see this in Dragon Age Origins. In talking to Riordan, there's a dialogue where he basically explains to the player, the hero, that the king of the Anderfels is weak and people just refer to the Grey Wardens for leadership. And he also tells us that there are over a thousand wardens who are present in the Anderfels. So they really hold political power that is equal to like an Orlesian Baron or a Ferelden Terran. And they have very much taken advantage of that power over the years. 
So um, this is kind of like extrapolating, um, but from that conversation, from this history, we can kind of pull that the people of the Anderfels really don't look to the king. They don't look to their monarch. They don't look to their royal family or other leaders as their leaders. They look to the Great Wardens as their leaders. Well, wouldn't you? Like, these are absolutely. The people who stand between you and other destruction. Yeah, absolutely. Especially after that fourth blight where it's the worst in the Anderfels. Your king dies at the hands of an ogre. Your new king is literally a baby and nobody likes the queen. So the Grey Wardens are the one who break the siege of Hosburgh after seven years and they come to your rescue. Yeah, seven years too late. Sure. But the queen didn't do anything. The kings didn't do anything. In fact, they fled. So, yeah, of course I would look to the Grey Wardens. Right. It's natural. It's human nature. Or elven nature or whatever. It's only human natural. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) I think this is an interesting thing because I really want more about Lysop. Um, I do too. So badly want to go there. Um, and I think that it's a possibility, you know, especially with the rumors and thing that we're into Venter. It's a possibility. Maybe it's just a quest line. Maybe it's a DLC. Maybe it's a DLC. Maybe, yeah. That's, and, you know, it's, it's just an opportunity to explore more of that. And maybe, you know, we'll get some codex about the founding of the Wardens and... Yeah. Other things like that, which we get a little bit about, you know, yeah. from Duncan and everything. We get a little bit about what, what Wysop is like in our talks with uh, Reward. Yeah, we get some. We get some, especially, and I think there's some you can get with Stroud as well. Um, so there are things we know, but we'll, like we said earlier, we'll go into this in a, in a later episode, too. Which I'm pretty sure that the... Um, Whatever warden you have in Inquisition has been to Weishaupt at some point. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure that's correct because all of the Grey Wardens are fighting. Um, Whatever warden you have, whether it be Alistair, Stroud, or Loghain, obviously is, is upset at the Orlesian wardens um the Ferelden wardens don't particularly exist that much um so there's that yeah where are they because they we are, don't know like that's a big question we'll have to talk well, about well it, it makes no sense it makes no sense because um the hero is off finding a cure for the blight and who so who's leading them right because alistair living- is either with Alistair and Loghain are either with the Orlesian Wardens or, or dead, dead or, king. or king. So, yeah. So it makes, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I don't know if there's an actual answer that's researchable. It's Ogryn. Oh my God. That's terrifying. <laughs> that is terrifying. <laughs> uh, you know who it probably actually is? Who? It's Nathaniel Howe. But not everybody made him a warden. A lot of people just killed him. That's true. So, I mean, and that's if, that's if the Vigil's Keep even survived. There's a possibility that the Keep is destroyed at the end of Awakening. So, 
we'll see. I, I don't know. But there's basically insinuations, I think, at the end of Inquisition where, like, all of the wardens have been drawn back, called back to Weishaupt. And there's a lot of uh, dissension with the wardens. So, we shall see. Well, okay, so we know that, and this is another thing that we'll have to get into, like, especially with the Anderfells, there's so much going on at Weishaupt that we're not privy to. Like, mm-hmm. where, you would think that if the first warden hears that there's an archdemon in Ferelden, you would think that he would be marching all the Grey Wardens from Weishaupt to Ferelden. Well, um, he probably didn't hear that there was an archdemon. But how? Because of Loghain. The only two wardens that exist are the OC, the player character, and Alistair. And they are basically in hiding from Loghain. The whole country's looking out for him. Yeah, it doesn't feel that way when you play the game. But it's just y'all. Like, it's just y'all. I guess there is true that, you know, Riordan is sent almost by the first warden to, like, see what's happening in Ferelden. Is he not? I don't think he's sent by the first warden. I think he just um, is sent by the warden commander of Orlais because he comes from Jader, which is is the uh, closest Orlesian city to Ferelden. I see. So I don't think he's sent by the first warden. Right. So, and I guess that's another thing about like the fifth blight is so short. Right. And you also have to remember that you know, we just spent all this time talking about the first warden gains a lot of political power after the fourth blight. Um, and now they're concerned with politics. Well, when that happens, when your actual leader is becoming, is turned into a figurehead with the political leaders in the Anderfels, well, then somebody else has to do all the work of politicking. And that person is the first warden. They have to do all the work that it takes to uphold a political system in a country, in the Anderfells. So then that means they become a political figurehead for the wardens. So then that means all the work that the first warden used to do basically gets trickled down into each warden commander of each um, country. So it's, it's a big cause and effect loop. Hmm, it's interesting because, well, I just want to know, like, because we don't know what's going on at Wysop except for a little like snippet at the end of inquisition that you know all the gray wardens are going back to wysop and that like hawk hawk or alistair is helping them rebuild or whatever yeah um or logan or stroud whoever you whoever and so like obviously they were with a tear in the veil like that you can't tell you can't tell me that all the rifts were in or lay or ferelden and not into venture or anywhere else Right. Um, right. And so, like, how are they dealing with this? Like, do the Grey Wardens at Wysop, do they hear the calling from Corypheus? Or is it just the Grey Wardens or Gorlay? That's a great question. We don't know the answer. Like, how far-reaching is that? Are there more magisters? Like, perhaps Wysop is a prison for what magister underneath it. Maybe. Yeah, we don't know any we don't know the answers to any of these questions. <laughs> right. This is a big theory, but like there's just so much that I want to know about Weishaupt. There's so much that I want yeah. 
more information about because I I know that the Grey Wardens aren't the most popular figures of you know Dragon Age, whether that's in universe mm-hmm. or in the fandom. But I particularly like the Grey Wardens and I like them as an order. Yeah, I do too. Um I really wonder if we'll go back to more of a Grey Warden central conflict. I hope we don't do another Blight in the next game. But I do think the Wardens will have some kind of role to play. Right. I would like to see, maybe, if we're theorizing, you know, the Game Awards are coming up. Um, Yeah. Today. Yeah, I guess that is true. It is today. Um, And, you know, one thing that I would like to see is that I would like to see joinable factions, you know? Yeah, that would be cool. Like like in, in Origins when you can become an, uh, an Antiven Crow. Right. And or, you know, you could join the Crows. You could join like a group of mages or there's other factions that other games, you know, have. That's not really a Bioware thing. Like it's not mm-hmm. in Mass Effect. It's not in Dragon Age, really. Um, and so it would be hard because like becoming a Grey Warden doesn't leave a lot of freedom of movement unless you're in a bright. Uh, right. So, yeah. But anyway, that's enough about the Grey Wardens. We'll save that for another episode. We will save that for another episode, but let's take a break. Okay. All right. So we're at the middle of our show where we tell you what's going on with the podcast. Um, as always, we have a Patreon. You can come and subscribe. There are all kinds of tier benefits there you can check that out the link is in the episode description uh you can also like subscribe follow review us on any anywhere you can uh those five star reviews really help the podcast um if you write us a review and leave five stars we'll read it out here on the show um other than that i think uh shelby you want to tell us a little bit about the road ahead Yeah, I would love to. So um, we, after this episode, are taking a break over the holidays and at the beginning of the new year. So we will be prepping and researching and upgrading, hopefully, some of our equipment um, to come back in full force in season two. And so when we come back in the new year, hopefully by the beginning of February or the end of January, we are going to launch into a new series about factions of Thetis. So we are going to talk, hopefully, about all of your favorite factions, like Grey Wardens. We've already been digging into that a little bit today, but we'll also talk about all of the other factions, like um, the Circle of Magi and... Um, the Silent Sisters and the Seekers and all kinds of everything. I think we're going to talk about almost every faction in Thetis. Um, we'll, we, we might not get to every single one, but we're going to cover a good, a good majority of them. The major and then ones. After the, we'll get to those. Yeah, the major ones. And then after that, we don't know where we're going to go. So if you have any topic ideas anything you definitely want to see covered dm us on twitter or on discord or if you want to really 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 for sure make sure the topic you want to talk about is covered you can become a patron and actually join us on that episode so those are some of the things that we are gonna do in 2022 yeah um, also something that is coming, um, 
the once a month starting in season two we will be diving in to deep dives of what we're calling main characters and this means like companions advisors people who are integral to the story of the games not just you know the protagonist player character right um so once a month we'll have these deep dives into these characters um you might have heard our first one that we did which was released on dragon age day on varic um it'll follow that if you love a character you know send us an email give us your thoughts a tweet join the discord and all that also as you said you can become a patron you might be able to come and guest and talk about you know whether you really love this character or you really hate this character or, you know, a little both. I love this character, but I hate this, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, you ready to get back into it? I am. Let's talk about culture and the Anderfells. Yeah. Let's do it. Well, like we said earlier, um, the Anderfells is primarily rural. And most of its citizens live in, like, small outposts or villages. So the Anders, because they're super rural, because of their location, they are the only non-dwarven people group to fight Darkspawn regularly. And Darkspawn continually reappear in the Anderfells all the time outside of Blights and during Blights, of course, but it's particularly notable not during a Blight. So... That's super interesting to me. I think that definitely has to do with the fact that, like, the country's landscape is blighted in itself. Right. Um, Well, so... Do you ever wonder, like, so one of the big advantages of being a Grey Warden is that you're able to sense the blight. So you can sense blighted creatures. Mm -hmm. Can that not be said for the Darkspawn themselves? That's probably a fair point. You know, like... Can they not sense the Grey Warden? So would they not be drawn to that? Because if... So the lore-wise, the Darkspawn return to the Deep Roads in search, after a blight, in search of another old god to awaken. Yeah. So if if the way they find that is by sensing the blight, they're obviously going to be drawn to a huge concentration of that, which is would be Wysop. Yeah, well, I don't think it's just by sensing. I mean, that is part of it, but they also, they're digging. That's a big thing with Darkspawn is that they're digging. Um, But, you know, your earlier statement about maybe there's a prison for Mm. an old god or a high priest of an old god under Weishaupt, I think that's very possible because if you think about it, okay, you have increased numbers of, of Darkspawn regularly you've got the Kalshrock dwarves very close that are some kind of weird tainted thing mm-hmm. we don't know and then obviously you have the gray wardens in this blighted landscape so you know that's a lot of coincidences all right in that area right. um almost too many coincidences to to not have some kind of something else happening and you know it's reasonable to say that if the architect and Corypheus both survive, whatever. Why wouldn't it, another one? Why w- there are there were seven of them. Yeah, as many old gods. Right, and so 
that's five five magisters that are unaccounted for mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah exactly and you know we have two blights left with the old gods if and there we might get into this later but there is theory about an eighth old god in the constellation yeah. draconis um it's prophesized that the seventh blight will consume the world and that's the end of the world is the seventh blight yeah um so are we headed to i think it's possible we're headed to a big big confrontation with this dark spawn thing like end of the world apocalyptic level mm -hmm. well you know if you think about it every game we start with a, we start with origins and every game after origins the end conflict the big bad evil guy it gets bigger and bigger and bigger in terms of impact on the world Mm -hmm. origins yeah okay it's a blight and that's really destructive for all of Thetis but it's contained to Ferelden miraculously contained to Ferelden and then we go into Dragon Age 2 with Meredith and obviously that has some wide reaching effects but we don't really get those until Inquisition right. and Inquisition is you know all of southern Thetis essentially and then at the end of Inquisition we go into the DLC with Trespasser and it turns into a lot bigger than mm -hmm. just Corypheus. It turns into Solus. It turns into Fenharel. It turns into a Kunari plot. So it gets bigger. Um, it's, yeah. It's like this big moment where, you know, one of the reasons that Mass Effect 3 holds so much like weight to it is because mm -hmm. of all the conflict that is built up in the first two games. Yeah. And you feel it coming to the head. The Krogan genophage, the uh, the Quarian Geth War, Cerberus, like all these things come to a head and you have this looming threat of the Reapers. And mm -hmm. there's weight to it because all of these things have to be solved in this game. Right. Right. And the same can be said of Dragon Age 4, I think. Right. I think we're coming to a big point. I think that... It'll be interesting to see what they do, and if it, we see Dragon Age go in a, at the end of this game, it's kind of like a closure, and then we see the, the future games, if there are any, kind of go in a different direction. Yeah. We'll see. But let's get back to the Anderfels, because we're yeah. going into some major theory. Well, back to Anderfels culture. Um, the Anderfels are actually like the most pious followers of Andraste and the Chantry in all of Thetis. They actually have this huge white statue of Andraste that overlooks the entire region. And you can find a picture of this statue in the world of Thetis. Not sure exactly which um, page it's on, but it is in the world of Thetis encyclopedia number two. Okay. So you can find a picture there. Um, so they're really pious followers of Andraste, and I think that makes total sense when you think about the fact that Emperor Draken really rescues mm -hmm. them from, from that blight um, when Tevinter had abandoned them. So it makes sense that they would they would maybe abandon the gods of Tevinter in favor of the god of Orle, and especially when Emperor Draken is a super pious follower of Andraste. Like, he believed he was on a mission from God, on a mission from the Maker. Um, a little Blues Brothers reference there, but... I think that that makes sense when you think about their context in history. Right. And also, it just kind of sets up, you know, the Anderfels 
the Anders give their loyalty to the people who help them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the Grey Wardens help them, they get their loyalty. The, you know, the Emperor Draken helps them. Okay, well, let's, well, there must be something about this Andraste thing then. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that, like, sense of loyalty um, to the people that come to their aid is a really good, um, just description of, of some of their values and virtues as a people group. Um, but my last little thing that I have to say about the culture is that they're famed for their art. Um, we talk about art a lot in Orlay, but the Anders are major sculptors. They, um, and that makes sense when you think about the huge Andraste statue that they have, but their sculptures usually have religious content and are the most prized and sought after in all of Thetis, especially within circles of Orlesian nobility, um, who, you know, pay huge, 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 huge sums of money, uh, for these art pieces, which is pretty remarkable. And it's like... We always, it's so interesting to hear from this person, like, because, you know, this whole time we're talking about, oh, it's a rural community, like, you know, it's spread out and everything. Oh, it's famed for their art. Because when we think art, we think of Orlay, we think of, Mm -hmm. you know, Navarra or Antiva, like these big, like, artistic places. But I like that Bioware kind of added that thing about like, oh, well, like, this is like a different thing. It's not just you know, desert upon desert. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's not just desert. I mean, on the east and the west, it does have a coast. All right, well, let's talk about some cities. So I built this in because there's we're going to get into a little bit of uh, some interesting theor- theorizing. Um, but some of the notable cities in the Anderfels are Hosberg. We've already talked about Hosberg. That's the capital. Geltberg. Nordbotten, Weishaupt Fortress, of course. There's Cundalon, a Canary settlement. And there is a city called Laish. And Laish is on the far western coast of the Anderfels. This probably gets cut off of a lot of maps. It is, is as far west as you can go um, in Thetis on the western coast off of the Volca Sea. Now, if you haven't dug into a map or the codex, you're not going to know any of this. And I didn't know any of this before I started researching for this episode. But this city is on this far, far, far western edge. And basically, they exist for trade with other places on the planet that we don't know about yet. So they trade wares and spices that you can't find in Thetis. But this trade ended during the Black Age. And there have been many throughout the years who have tried to revive trade in this area by crossing the Volca Sea. All of these people have never been heard from again. Hmm. According to Anders' legend, these traders are called the Vo- Voshai, the, the ones who came to the Anderfels to trade, are called the Voshai. And the people of Laish were 
not interested in learning their language. Um, they, the Voshai were not interested in the people of the Anderfels. They were actually very hostile. They only wanted to barter and they were obsessed with purchasing lyrium. According to the legends, the captains of each of these Boshai ships were dwarves and they were treated with such deference by like their crew members that it implied they held profound power in their society. Zero, I repeat, zero elves were working on Voshai ships ever. And based on some questionable re reports in uh, recent years, that the Voshai ships have returned, but they have been carrying tales of a massive cataclysm in their homeland. So, all of that text comes from the uh, World of Thetis Encyclopedia, page 2. You can find it, or part 2, you can find it on page 132. Um, I am very, very fascinated by this. Um, I have no idea what this could mean. <laughs> What do you think? It's kind of like the same way we talk about aliens. Like, in that we theorize, okay, well, like, or do they evolve and develop the same way? Or do they look differently than us? Do they, you know, what changed about them? What could possibly, like, be different? Or would they be very similar to us? in like the pinnacle mm -hmm. of evolution and like it's kind of the same questions do they have a blight do they right. like they have dwarfs and obviously i'm assuming since it only mentions elves that they're humans too probably and what about the kunari and what about magic right and we have these like drawings in parvalin or in set uh saharan that we you know, talked about with the horned figures that came to Saharan for the original mm. inhabitants. Where, where'd they go? Where do they right. come from? Like, lots of answers could happen from that. Um, yeah. Or Bioware could just have it as a simple fact and we never really <laughs> delve into it ever. Yeah, it could go either way. I think there's a 50-50 shot of us finding out nothing or um, it being tied in really in an interesting way. <laughs> right. And I, that's how video games go, you know. So it's interesting that we talk about these Kunari settlements. I'm just curious, like, how many of them exist outside of Parvalin and Saharan? Um, that we know of, too. Two. There's one in Ravain, and there's right. one in Anderfell. And it's just interesting because, you know, as we talk about the Kunari are conquerors. Like, the people, yep. the Kunari that are outside of Parvalin and Saharan, they're conquerors. Right. Um, and you, you see that with Sten. Yeah. Like, Sten goes on to become the Arashok. That doesn't happen unless you are committed to the Kune, you know? Like, right. Yeah, you're right. They're, they are. So, it's just interesting, these settlements that pop up. Like, mm -hmm. Well, it's also interesting if you think about 
the geography, right? Like right. the far eastern side of Thetis and the far western side of Thetis. I don't think that's a coincidence. Right. Are they? Are these Kunari loyal to Kuhn? Are they Talvashar? Well, they're a, like, it's a Kunari settlement. So, hmm. you know, we don't use the phrase Kunari to refer to Talvashoth because the Kunari are the people that are loyal to the Kuhn. Right. So even an elf or a human or dwarf could become a Kunari. Talvashoth or Talvashoth. They're not loyal. Kunari's not a race. Well, it is and it right. isn't. Um, right. Right. But that's a big misconception that people have. Like, right. the Kunari isn't the race. The Kunari is the the culture, the religion, the group. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's about it for cities. Let's talk about a few notable people from the Anderfels. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell them or should oh, I? Sure. So, we have Anders, which I think is just funny. Um, so well, his yeah. his father is from the Anderfels, and he moves to Ferelden. So I think Anders would probably classify himself as Ferelden um, if you asked him. But like that's why I'm sure when we started this episode, it's like, oh, they're called the Anders. Like people are like, oh, I wonder what the connection is. That's it. He's named He's to named honor after this place. Yeah, to honor his father's heritage. Um, and then Count. Katrine of Hosburgh, wife of Judicow? Judicow? Judaical. Ju- Judaical the first? Yeah, he's a, a Orlesian emperor. Oh. All right, so yeah, there's that. Um, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, and then there's other... I'm, <laughs> we hear about royals and nobles, I'm sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's like... There is some type of... Other than... I think there is a war table operation that's like contact Wysop or something like that. Um, Maybe. Or something in the Anderfels. I mean, you pretty much get a war table operation in almost every major com- country in Thetis. Um, yeah, you do. So, yeah. So, this leads us into our side character, which we'll preface. Our side character is not from the Anderfels. In the past episodes, we've been highlighting people who are from these places the problem with the anderfells is we don't know a lot of people who are from there like even if we decided to do anders for this episode he's not technically from there he has heritage there right and he's an he's an episode in himself it wouldn't be i don't think it would be fair to the people who love anders the people who ship anders with hawk or whomever or even, you know, the character himself to just fit him in, you know, a 15-minute time slot at the end of one episode. Right. He deserves his own episode. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to talk about the OG Blackwall. So, not Tom Rainier, who takes the name Blackwall, but Warden Blackwall, the OG. Yeah, the original. And his first name is Gordon, Gordon Blackwall. If you uh, were curious, so yeah, I don't know we definitely. Why, but Gordon doesn't seem like a Dragon Age name. That's only because you're a fan of Gordon Ramsay. Well, that's irrelevant. True. No, it's not. It's irrelevant. <laughs> it's um... Not irrelevant. Anyway. Okay, well, let's get into it. So. Um, We definitely wanted to highlight someone from the Anderfels, but like Austin said, there just wasn't enough content. There's not enough people, whatever. So we thought we'd highlight a Grey Warden, and 
who better than someone that is a very enigmatic figure? So, um, we don't know a lot about Gordon Blackwall. That's how I'm just going to refer to him. Um, we don't know a lot about him before he was a Grey Warden. But he was recruited from the city of Cumberland in 917 Dragons. So we can assume that he's from Navarra. Not confirmed, but we can assume that. Um, but because Grey Wardens really do believe that the joining of, of their order marks like a new beginning for the people, um, the reasons for his recruitment and his life up to that point really are unknown. But he serves for, uh, as, a, as a Grey Warden for 10, 11 years. And at that point, he is promoted to the position of Warden Constable. And he takes over for his friend, um, Elise Fontaine. And that person became Commander of the Grey in Orlais. So after her promotion, uh, Warden Constable Blackwall was put in charge of operations in Northern Orlais. So he, he is, is overseeing all of the north part of Orlais, right up there, right just south of Tevinter. So he is a Grey Warden during the time of the Fifth Blight in Ferelden. So after this, right after um, the Fifth Blight, maybe even during the end, the wardens in Orlais are tasked with securing all known deep roads entrances in Orlais to prevent, you know, a lot of darkspawn from rushing in after the, the archdemon is defeated in Ferelden. So on one of these trips, a cave-in trapped seven Grey Wardens in this old crumbling cave. Well, Gordon Blackwall uh, managed to break free of the rocks and help was, was not close. It was at least three days, uh, a three-day hike to the nearest like town or outpost, whatever. And Gordon Blackwall made his way alone through a dark spawn infested cave system to reach and free his peers. I think that is incredibly heroic. Um, and after this, um, he was awarded what is called the Silverite Wings of Valor, which is an Orlesian Warden, um, kind of like the Medal of Honor. It's, it's a really big honor in recognition of, of, you know, a heroic act. So he's awarded this, and um, according to some of the fellow Wardens, Gordon Blackwall does not escape um, this incident easily. Uh, he's really probably traumatized by some of the things he saw and did, but he's also basically disabled. Um, I mean, he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. So he's really not as able to, to maybe be as mobile as he had been in uh, his younger years, because we do know that he is older. Um, when when Tom Rainier takes his his identity in 936 Dragon Gordon Blackwall travels um to meet with Warden Commander Fontaine his friend that I just mentioned 
And it's widely believed by other Grey Wardens that this meeting is where she informed Blackwall of her intentions to go on her calling, um, to go into the Deep Roads and kill as many Darkspawn as she can within the next year. And so she was trying to choose her replacement. Um, so after this, Blackwall sends a message north and ha he basically had told people like, okay, I'm going back to Southern Orle, um, back close to um, Val Siobhan. Well, he never reached his destination. And the Grey Wardens never heard from him again. The Orlesian Wardens never heard from him again. A lot of people assumed that he went rogue. Blackwall, a.k.a. Tom Rainier, emerged sometime later, um, an unknown period of time. We don't know how long, but uh, Blackwall, as we know him, emerged sometimes, sometime later where he was then recruited by the Inquisition. And as we know, this happened in Ferelden. And that is pretty much all I've got on Gordon Blackwall, the OG. So eventually he comes into a situation where he suffers some type of fatal wound that Tom Rainier is involved with, which we can ask Blackwall about. Yes. Um, and Blackwall takes his name because in this past, Blackwall had been kind of like a criminal or an unsavory individual. And he decided that at this moment he wanted to live as something better than what he was. Yeah. And so he takes the mantle of Blackwall. Yeah, so I think that, like, this is just a good moment, like, setting the stage of, like, why Blackwall chooses, Tom Rainier chooses to take this mantle is because of the reputation of the man. Yeah, because he's seen as a hero. And, like, not just because he's a Grey Warden, because Grey Wardens are seen as heroes, but because he's a hero among heroes. Mm -hmm. And that's really significant. Yeah, it really is. And I think that it really comes to point of, like, Tom Rainier's true desire to change. Which is why, like, Blackwall is a forgivable character to me. Unlike, like, Solus's deception is completely just... Self-centered is not the right word because Blackwall's is also self-centered. But it's just so... It's more malicious to me. Like, the hiding of who he is as Fen Harrell. As opposed to Blackwall, who's hiding his identity in like just a desire to turn his life around and change well i think it's it's really hard to compare the two for me um because blackwall or in tom Rainier, like yeah he does horrible things to some people in orlay but like we're not talking about entire races we're not talking about entire people groups we're not talking about entire religions we're talking about a family um so it's totally different levels, and I think that that makes it really hard to compare the two. I agree. But I don't want us to spend a bunch of time talking about Tom Rainier. I wanted, because we'll, we'll get into him in his own episode. Right. Um, but I do think that Blackwall, the original Blackwall, is a really compelling character um, because he's a hero. And I would love to see like a short story or a comic or something about um, you know, who he was before before Tom. Yeah. I think that 
it very much paints like Blackwall, the OG Gordon Blackwall, very much paints a picture of like what a Grey Warden should be. And that's yes. that's one of the reasons that I think that he's really compelling. I agree. And especially in a time where like, okay, there's not many Grey Wardens in Ferelden. And then the Orlesian Wardens are fixing to like <laughs> be taken over by Cripius and, and Taventer Mages. Right. Um and so Gordon Blackwall really stands as a unique example of somebody who's different. Yes, he does. And it's just a good moment of like reminding us like these individuals were founded on this good principle because we see so much in the games of the Grey Wardens painted in such a morally pun intended gray light. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, even Duncan like depending on your origin, depending on what happens, like Duncan, who's, I would argue, is a pretty respectable character, does terrible, terrible things. Um, yeah. And, you know, the obviously the Wardens in Inquisition, siding with Gryphius, even though, like, there is some mind control things going on in there. It's just a, it's an interesting thing. And so to see, like, okay, here is someone who, like, wants to, who sacrifices himself, who wants to protect, who goes above and beyond to bring kind of like a good and sense of great warden justice reminds us like, Oh, these are good guys. Like this order is founded on a good principle. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point, And I totally agree, but I would, I would argue with you a little bit. Um, I don't think Duncan is a respectable character. <laughs> I think he's, they, they wanted him to be in origins, but when you dig into his backstory, like, he was not a good person um, as a young man. And, you know, sure, he changes. He grows up a bit. Um, and I don't think he's, by far, he is not the worst person we meet in Dragon Age. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have. So thank you all for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at dalorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora. And all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon.